Amen. I love that hymn. That's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. It actually um, is very old. Fell out of popularity in the 20th century. Hardly ever heard it for almost 100 years. And then, thankfully, God inspired some musicians to resurrect that one for us and bring it back. It's a great hymn. Thank you, worship team, for sharing that with us. Well, we're done with Ecclesiastes. So those of you who are just by habit turning to Ecclesiastes, you got to stop. Not doing that. Time to move on. Back in the New Testament now, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, looking at verses 26 through 33. Boys and girls, you have your own translation in the children's bulletin. Make sure you use that. And before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him together in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do come and proclaim glory be to You on high. We praise You for Your great work of salvation and sending Your Son, Jesus Christ born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. And Lord, as we come now and focus for a season really on His coming, we ask that You would help us, Lord, because we come to this time of year in the comfort of nostalgia and the comfort of tradition, all good things, but so often those good things can mask greater things. And so, Lord, would You help us once again to come for this Christmas season, glorifying you for the gospel where you sent your son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, overcome what is very comfortable and common with the uncommon message of grace, even to those of us who know it. Renew our hearts and show us your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to admit, big surprise, I love Christmas. I do. I love this time of year. I love that Starbucks now has the red cups back, and I don't care what's on them. I care about what's in them. I mean, I'm just so glad that we, it's this time of year. We, ha- we put our Christmas tree up this year already, and our little ones especially are just going nuts over the Christmas tree being up. I got up early the other morning and thought I was the first one up, and I heard singing, and our two little girls, Emma and Isla, were sitting on the dining room table staring at the tree singing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. I know, right? It's great. Oh, we love it. You see, I love the idea that Christmas is this great celebration that right in the middle of the winter, right after the shortest day of the year, the darkest day of the year, the least amount of sunlight of the year, that we then celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ coming as the light of the world. And that's simply what Advent means. Advent is the Latin word that means the coming. It's the coming of light. It's the coming of hope. It's the coming of Jesus. And so this Advent, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the hope that comes with Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that because this hope came and this hope comes in dark times. I mean, overall culture, even government policy seems to promote religion in the service of the nation. There's a multiplicity of religions and religious options. Worship the way you want. Just don't interfere with or judge others. It makes those who worship the one true God very often problems to be dealt with. Then, of course, there's the rise of the welfare state and the welfare mentality that accompanies it. That creates a permanent underclass, often with little education. They end up being slaves of those in power. Then there's the rampantly sexualized culture. Public indecency and immorality are normal. Promiscuity is promoted. 
homosexuality is celebrated. And then in this weird contradiction, you have all this sexualized culture, but you actually have a decrease in children. Because promiscuity promotes contraception and abortion. And then, of course, there's the good old days when, you know, immigrants used to come and they'd be assimilated into a relatively unified culture and and become ordinary citizens. Not anymore. Immigrants settle together, they refuse to assimilate, and they bring their foreign culture and practices, and they disrupt the unity of the nation. And, And then because natural citizens won't do certain jobs and they aren't having enough babies, these immigrants come in and do these jobs and they have a lot of babies in two or three generations, they're going to be the country. There's lots of problems, lots of social ills, lots of governmental ills. And now, of course, you know exactly what I'm describing, right? The Roman Empire into which Jesus was born. Why y'all laughing? You think I was describing somewhere else? Oh, see, that world was invaded by grace. The gospel in diapers, a baby, grew into a man. He lived the life that God's people should have lived. He died the death that God's people deserved to die. Jesus set his people free from sin and brought them reconciliation with their creator. And the decadent, messed up Roman world was overwhelmed destroyed and reborn as Western culture by 12 ordinary men proclaiming an unordinary gospel. This Advent, my question for you, do we believe the gospel can still do that? Do we have that hope? Or just like sometimes in our personal life, how we see the gospel more as a past event where we walked an aisle or said some words. And so it's about what happened to me then. It's not what God is doing to me today. So too, do we see the big power of the gospel to be things that happened in the past and we don't really expect much from the gospel today. See, this Advent, let's let our emphasis on Christ's coming be about hope. Hope for today. I mean, for the people back when Jesus was born, the passage we're about to get to, it had been 400 years of silence by the prophets. They had had years, even generations of occupation by foreign invaders. Currently, Rome was their overlord in this part of the world. And the people there wondered, where is God? Where are his promises? But then a priest named Zechariah had a weird experience. He was serving his allotted time in the temple, doing his duties as a priest. And he came out and he couldn't talk. And even though he was an old man, his old wife as well was soon thereafter pregnant. Something strange was happening. God was doing something. And six months into that pregnancy, the same angel that showed up to him now shows up to his wife's cousin, Named Mary and gives her a word of hope from God. So look with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. This is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, this is God's word. So into that dark world, God brought a message of profound grace. And it was based on the greatness of the person of his son. And this baby he's talking about, that man would change everything. And that kind of gives us our summary for the sermon today. Where are we going to go? Perhaps you can remember this and over lunch talk about this and see what the Lord shows you more of his word. Here's where we're going to go today. Hope comes when grace messes up our fear with the greatness of Jesus. So I want to do today, I want to mess up your fear with the greatness of Jesus. We're going to try to do that because hope messes stuff up. But hope also takes away fear. So let's jump in here. This text begins, tells us this girl Mary was betrothed to this man. That means she was engaged in that culture. Engagement was about a year. They were officially committed to each other, but there had not been the wedding feast yet. It was still a very serious relationship. Uh, Unlike our culture and their culture, to break this engagement would be considered a divorce. It was that serious of a relationship. So here's this young woman. She's probably 12 to 15 years old. Very young by our standards. She's engaged. This angel shows up to her. And he basically says, hello. God is going to show so much grace to you. And I love her response. Look with me at verse 26. She responds like, honestly, we would. She was greatly troubled. See, and it's so much more than just greatly troubled in English. Sometimes they don't know what to do with a certain word. This word means agitated. This word means to be completely disrupted or disturbed. We would say she freaked out. She knew that something amazing was happening. The proclamation of grace, we could say, disrupted her calm. Because that's what grace does. It messes stuff up. Mary and her people were so used to being underdogs. They were so used to being picked on. They, were, they started to think like victims. And so, like sometimes with a victim mentality, what people do is they begin to mess with God's word to feel better about their situation. They begin to twist God's promises. Some of them became extremely religious. They just knew. I mean, they just knew the reason everything had gone wrong was because God's people had not been living right. So they created super strict rules, going above and beyond what God's word says. And they tried to get everybody else to follow their strict rules because they just knew. They, they, they knew. They weren't bad people. They just knew if they could get everybody else to be really religious, follow all these rules, be distinct from the Roman pagan culture, God would be happy and fix everything. They just knew it. This group was called the Pharisees, and these people are still around today. The other group of people... They kind of looked at history and they twisted stuff too. And they said, you know, maybe we've been taking this stuff too seriously. After all, in the last 400 years, two pagan armies have conquered Jerusalem, God's holy city. Two different pagan generals actually entered the temple, threw aside the curtain and entered the holy of holies. One of them even sacrificed a pig on the altar. And you know what? God did nothing. 
That's true, by the way. You can look that up. That happened. Maybe a lot of this stuff is just metaphorical or symbolic or something. Maybe we're taking it too seriously. God just wants us to be good people. Let's just get along with other people. If we look more like the Roman culture, that's okay. God's really concerned about ethics and morality and being good to your fellow man. These people were called the Sadducees. And they're still around today as well in church world. And then between these two groups were the regular people. Just trying to pay their bills. Just trying to raise their family. They still go to synagogue on the Sabbath. They could never be as religious as the Pharisees because they lived in the real world. They just couldn't do it, didn't have the time. They weren't quite sophisticated enough to understand what the Pharisees or the Sadducees were saying. They were just normal, regular, struggling believers. And I love the fact that it's to those people that God comes. He doesn't come to the daughter of some rich Pharisee in Jerusalem. He doesn't come to the daughter of some in with the Romans political official Sadducee. He comes to a poor woman in the middle of nowhere to give her an amazing message of grace. And that incredible grace breaks into her world and just messes her up. Everything she thought she knew just gets undone in a moment. That's what it means to be greatly troubled. Are you so used to the message of grace, especially this time of year, that it doesn't really mess you up anymore? Have you gotten very comfortable in church world, with Christmas world especially? Or maybe you've gone the other way. Perhaps you just see all this churchy stuff as more and more and more irrelevant. America has changed so much. The problems seem so big. Perhaps you love to hear about grace on Sunday, but the hopelessness of the world overwhelms you the rest of the week and you're just barely hanging on. See, you and I are a lot more like Mary here than we tend to think we are. This Advent season, we need a message of hope. We need the message of hope through Jesus Christ to mess us up. To shake us up out of our sloth. To remind us of how amazing the grace of God through Jesus Christ really is. See, we're stuck like Mary and her people were, but we know more. We're stuck in fear and hopelessness because we hear the gospel, but we don't believe the gospel. And so we live in fear. We live in hopelessness. Either we hear the word of the gospel and we think, well, I'm not really that guilty. I don't really need to be forgiven. Or I am that bad. There's no way God could accept me. I'm too good, so I'm going to hear this stuff, but I know God wants me to be religious and try to do more stuff. I'm going to perform and work, and, and it doesn't work. And either way, what you need, dear, dear sinner, is to hear again the incredible hope of Jesus Christ. Look to Mary here being so agitated, so completely messed up by this message of grace that she doesn't know what to do. And let that be what happens to you this Christmas. Once again, hear the message of God's grace that through the work of Jesus Christ alone you can be forgiven. You can be accepted. God can completely approve you and give you joy. You can have that. That hope is available for you. And it will drive out the fear that's holding you back and keeping you from living in the joy God intends for you. Just right where this text goes next shows us that hope takes away our fear. I love how the angel knows she's afraid. And so he tells her, don't be afraid. 
And he gives her a great reason. Look with me at verse 30. What he says to her, he says, look, you have found favor with God. That's an Old Testament expression. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, that phrase actually happens a lot. So-and-so found favor with God. It's an, it's, a, it's an expression of grace. And what's great about it is she clearly wasn't looking for or asking for a favor. The angel tells her, God is going to bless you because he wants to. Which is exactly how grace comes to all of us. And what is the blessing? She's going to have a baby boy. Name him Jesus. And it's a unique name. It's a great name. You know, I have been up close and personal uh, to five births. Closer than I ever thought I would be as a, you know, kid or teenager, to be for that fact. And in four out of those five births, there comes this moment when after pushing and grunting and trying, there's this guttural alpha female grunt shout thing that occurs and then there's a baby. And that's actually Jesus' name. You see, in a culture where you couldn't say God's name at all, women at the moment of birth were allowed to scream out, Lord, save me! Lord, help me! And if you had been there, they would say it in a mixture of Hebrew and the local thing called Aramaic, and it would sound like this, Yeshua! Yeshua! And so what he tells her says, name your child Yeshua, Jesus. God save me. Because right when you scream out for help, he's going to be the answer. Don't you love that? Think about that. Part of the original curse for our rebellion in the garden was what? I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. So the angel tells Mary, nine months from now, when you scream out for God's help, he's going to answer. Look in your arms. The help you cry out for because of sin will be answered in the baby you will have. What incredible grace. And the angel again roots this grace and power in the person of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 32 about this person. He says he will be great. The angel is a created being. The angels were created to worship and serve God. And the way the angel says this here, he will be great without qualification, a great man, a great king, a great man. He will be great. It's almost as if the angel is getting misty and excited thinking about it. Every time I read this passage, my mind always goes to, I may be wrong, but this is where my mind goes to, is that great scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the kids first are all together in this magical land of Narnia. They don't know what's going on. They meet a talking beaver for the first time. And then in the middle of their conversation, he says, Aslan is on the move. And the movie does a good job of capturing it, but the description in the book is great. The, the plot just stops. And, and C.S. Lewis says, now, they had no idea who Aslan was, just like you have no idea. But at the sound of his name, these feelings of nobility of greatness, of power, of encouragement and comfort arose in their hearts and they did not know why. And that's, I think, what's happening here with this angel at the name of Jesus. He just can't help but express, oh, he's so awesome. You're going to love this guy. He's so great. And that's how believers, looking back on this story, should feel because we know That our Lord showed himself to be great. 
See, hope is based on how great Christ is, not on how great the challenges of our culture are. So let's look at that greatness. What does God's word tells us that greatness looks like? He kind of sums it up in verses 32 and 33. Here's what he says. If we list those descriptions, he says, look, he's going to be great. He's son of the most high. He's given David's throne. He's over Jacob's house. He has a never ending kingdom. See, from the very beginning, this great Jesus, this man, this son of God, he did not come to be a good teacher, although he was. He did not come to demonstrate a better way to live, although he did. He came to live among us as the Son of the Most High God. As God himself. He will take the throne of David, which God promises a throne that conquers and rules. He's going to reign forever and his kingdom will spread with no end. Never-ending kingdom, the way it's written there, by the way, we tend to think time, think geography. That's how they would have understood it. They wouldn't really understood this forever as much as they would understand it's going to spread and nothing's going to stop it. The entire world will be under his reign. Those are some pretty amazing promises, aren't they? Make no mistake, she understood They understood. Luke understood. The original readers of this understood. She was giving birth to the Messiah. The time of waiting was over. God had moved and brought his gracious kingdom. God's people could now have hope in the midst of all that darkness. And that's exactly why Mary was so confused. Because the Romans were the superpower of the day. They had hundreds of legions. They seemed unstoppable. They were at the height of their power during the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And everybody knew, if you'd asked them, everybody knew the Messiah was supposed to descend from heaven with an angelic army, kill the Romans, and establish his kingdom. Everybody knew it. They taught it from birth in the synagogue schools. He wasn't supposed to come as a helpless baby. How's a baby going to defeat the Romans? See, and in the midst of that confusion, the angel gives this description of his power, this description of hope to take away her fear because he wants her to see and he wants us to see that God was after something so much bigger than the Romans. God invaded history to rescue his people from sin and death. And he's going to do it through the long-awaited Redeemer, The Messiah who would come and who would live out the righteousness that God demands, but that you and I simply cannot do, and we know we can't do it. Jesus would come and he would live the life of perfection that God requires of us, and then he would take upon himself the death that we deserve for our sins. We would be forgiven and righteous before God, but he wasn't finished. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, destroying the power of death and proving that we too can be brought back from death to life with God. He established his kingdom on earth, his church. We are the kingdom of God on earth and it spreads out across all geographies and it cannot be and has not been stopped yet. 
Jesus Christ rules and reigns today as king and head of the church, of God's people collected from all tribes, all nations, all geographies, all kinds of people, all languages. It cannot be stopped. It has no end. And so this Advent season, so many of you, you're focused on the darkness of America. You're focused on how culture has changed so fast and you don't know what to do. You're scared for your children, your grandchildren. So many of you are depressed because you think a once Christian country is now going by the wayside. And that may or may not be a correct interpretation. But what is correct is to know that the gospel is expanding worldwide. If you want to know where the Christian nation on earth is today, you can make a good case at South Korea. Church is exploding there. You can even make, the southern hemisphere is exploding with the gospel. Communist China is doing everything it can to stop it, but there are probably more evangelical Christians right now in China than there are people in America. You want a Christian nation, look to China. Oh, dear Christian, this time of year, put your hope back in the power of the gospel because it can do that here. Don't look around the darkness of our culture and be despondent. Look at the power of the gospel and remember the apostles took the gospel. Twelve scared men took it to the decadence of Rome. They called people to repent and believe the gospel. They promised Jesus Christ would set them free if they believed in him. And by the power of the gospel, Rome was changed. So too, dear believer, put your hope in the power of the gospel this Advent season. And then share the gospel with your neighbors, especially this time of year. Invite them over. This is the time of year people say yes. Then invite them to church. Have hope. The gospel can change people yet today. Because hope comes when grace messes up our fear with the greatness of Christ. Ask the Lord this Advent season to remind you of the greatness of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we do confess that we are so used to the message of Christmas. And Lord, we we love the things of Christmas, and that's okay. Lord, we love our jingle bells and our we wish you a Merry Christmas and our Christmas songs and carols and stockings and all those things. But Lord, would you help us once again to look at all this stuff and to be overwhelmed at the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ who although he existed in the form of God laid that aside, emptied himself and took on the form of a baby oh Lord what an amazing grace that you would invade our world to live among us to fix it and to fix us and then to rule and reign Forgive us, Father, for we don't see your gospel as that powerful. We don't see your grace as that good. Lord, would you once again burn those realities into our heart that we would be overwhelmed this Advent at how amazing your grace is through the coming of Jesus Christ. How do this work, Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves be passionate and remember, but you can. So would you build us up and renew our hearts to see the promises of your gospel and be overwhelmed by them. Now give us hope, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.